Sean Burns, uh, and for many reasons, uh, but the first is that he directed a film uh, in which I had a small uh, role in. Uh, so Sean, tell us a little bit about how you came to direct that film. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, firstly, I'd say you have quite a big role in it, and <laughs> in the development of it. Um, I suppose the story of Dorothy Towers for me has been quite a long one that accumulated over several years and the film definitely stems from my adolescence and my history and life in Birmingham, my interest in the history of Birmingham, particularly the queer history of Birmingham and um, it tells the story of two tower blocks, one of which you live in. Mm. Uh, in the centre of the city. Uh, they're both 31 storeys high. They have a huge presence on the landscape. But I don't think they're necessarily buildings that people know a great deal about. When I was younger, I was aware of them because of this name that people referred to them as, which was Dorothy Towers, which I always thought was an amazing title for something, you know, because it sounded like an incredible drag queen, which mm. is something I've said before sounded like a character, you know, and I thought the buildings were kind of characters on the landscape. Um, so yeah, the more I researched, the more I spoke to people like you, the more I became aware of their history and their significance in terms of Birmingham's um, sort of modern day queer history. Um, and and yeah, they're, they're, they're a space in which so many different things coalesce. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that that juncture where there are ideas about architecture, ideas about social history and people's lived experience, um, as well as a kind of personal relationship, um, that's always fertile terrain for, mm. for something like a film. Do mm. you know what I mean? Tell me, what idea did you start with and then how that developed the more you learned about yeah, whatever you learned yeah, well, I think an important thing to say in terms of my development as a filmmaker is that this was the first film that I've ever made, you know? So I was kind of coming into it knowing that it was going to be an immense learning experience, mm. which it was, you know, and in, in some ways that I didn't anticipate. Um, I guess I came into it thinking that it was a material gathering process and that I was going to follow the material mm. or I was going to be led by the material that we got. Mm. Um, and I don't just mean in terms of like gathering visual material, I mean listening, you know, I think there's a huge part of the development of the film that was about listening to the residents, you know. Mm. And I said when we first started working on the film, when I say we, I mean the team of people that were working on the film, um, that the relationships that we build, both with ourselves and, and with the residents, mm. Um, were the project you know and I think it was a film that was really led by relationships and I wanted to as much as possible approach it with um, 
from an ethical standpoint, do you know? And I, I had questions, and I still have questions about what it means for an artist to come into a space that's the sort of not explicitly one that they inhabit, you mm. know, although they, although I have a relationship with the buildings and interpret it and represent it, you know. And all those kind of ethics of engagement and, you know, um, are kind of central and, and things I continue to think about, you mm. know. I'd say, you know, you were marvellous about that. And um, when I was... Uh, uh, when I was working in film in Canada in the 80s, and it was really documentary-driven, and there were all these discussions about, you know, ethics in documentary. How do you make a film about, you know, particular subjects without objectifying them or kind of like that? And so this... What I thought you were marvelous at was uh, taking on board those ethical considerations. In that, I felt as one of the subjects that uh, you gave me the okay on every aspect of my representation. I, you know, you you had me look at the film of me, and you know, we we did some sound, and you know, kind of you gave me approval over that as well, and kind of. I, I, at every stage, I felt that I had say in my representation, mm. which I think is what so many of these discussions about ethics and documentary revolved around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, who has the power to represent and yeah, who gets represented and how? Uh, so I do kind of you mm-hmm. know I thought that was great of you. Really. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, um, I think if you position a camera or a dictaphone in front of anyone. It is an object in the room, do you know sure. what I mean? And it's it's something you have to account for, mm. you know, and, and people's behaviour is going to change if you point a camera at them. So it's, it's how do you make people comfortable when that happens, mm. you know, and I was super attentive towards that and aware of, of, of that and my position within that. Mm. And, and kind of continue to be, I hope, um... And I think that, like I say, that that relationship and those um, procedures um, became really central to the mm. work and to the success of the work, mm. you know. And I, I hope that the film has a kind of warmth about it, you know, in whatever words you might want to put in that space. And and I think it's for that reason, mm. you know what I mean. Tell me a little bit about the process, though. So, you know, you began with an idea um, and then meeting people... I know you also kind of did some archival work. You looked at old newspapers and tried to find the first mentions of the building of the places mm-hmm. and who worked in them. And, you know, but also, how did you find your subjects? Uh, if you can tell me a little bit about that process of how yeah, the yeah. film unfolded and was then pieced together. Well, I, I, although what I've just said is true, I have a different relationship with each of the people in the film. Sure. You know, and there are five central figures that appear in the film of which you're one and each of them I know through different channels really so um, Twiggy who is a nightlife personality in Birmingham for people that don't don't know that is someone that I've been aware of since I was young Mm -hmm. you know and a kind of person who is very influential in terms of Birmingham's nightlife and and it's kind of through her that really the film the the ideas for the film kind of stemmed, I mm. suppose, you know. Um, I think I met you through Twiggy, maybe, or maybe it was through Kim. Mm, I think it was uh, through Trevor. 
Yeah. yeah, through Trevor Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we also did um, we did an open call. We did a coffee morning, uh-huh. you know, so that people could come of their own free mm. will. And, um, you know, we gave people coffee. We eventually gave people champagne, mm. um, you know, and, and it was great. And, and Billy, who appears in the film, was one of the people that came to the coffee morning. And, and it, it quickly became apparent that he was amazing at kind of orating the history of, of Birmingham mm. and giving a more contextual history about the buildings. Um, so we sort of knew straight away that he needed to be in it, you know, mm. he's such a good speaker and, and not, not that that was a prerequisite for it, but, um, but yeah, he, he was brilliant and, and sort of that relationship developed as a result of the coffee morning. And then Seema was one of the last people to come on board and Elle, who was working on the film, had met Seema at the LGBT uh-huh. centre. Uh-huh. Um, and Seema lives directly opposite from Twiggy. Uh-huh. in the flat opposite you wow know? so it was it was kind of through twiggy again that that Seema came on board and and that that was beautiful it was an amazing um thing that she did uh-huh. um and dave um is someone i've known for a long time since about 2017 mm-hmm. as as and again he, i suppose each person in the film sort of feels in a, a different narrative or a different um historical dimension to the story um, and Dave was always really good at speaking about Birmingham's queer history. Mm. He's a bit of an expert, really. He's kind of the expert. Mm. Um, so I, he was one of the first pe- people I thought of to be in the film because because I knew that he would bring that knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of the process, I was very influenced by um, television documentaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up watching TV mm-hmm. and I learned so much about the world from watching TV. Um, and... And things like Arena, BBC Arena, mm-hmm. I guess things like like the films that Nigel Finch made mm-hmm. for the BBC and um, small idiosyncratic documentaries like Andy the Furniture Maker, uh-huh. which was made for Channel 4. Um, that sort of like zooming in on someone's life, uh-huh. you know, and, and the idea that TV, and although this film hasn't been on TV, but the idea that TV could be um, an arena for that, you know, mm. for almost the everyday mm. and how the everyday contains so much um, exceptional mm. material, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm always fascinated by kind of the role of TV in British cultural life, which is very different than in other places. Mm. But tell me more, because in a way that wouldn't have occurred to me, because I remember some of our conversations and, you know, about filming it in 16 and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. how important that was to you. I remember trying to discourage you. <laughs> so kind of tell me a little yeah, bit about yeah. that. Well, you weren't the only person that uh-huh. tried to discourage me, but I was completely adamant about uh-huh. that being the being the material for it. Um, I've said this lots of times before when I spoke about the film, but it is a project that's about material memory, uh-huh. you know. And, and central to my interest is the way in which the fabric of the building influences the lives of the people that live there mm. and vice versa, you mm. know. And and to me, that kind of sense of imprint, that mm. sense of um, uh, somehow the building's being porous, mm. spoke to that sort of 16 mil, mm. um, you know, that that's a material that sort of does that as well. You mm. know, it's about um, an object absorbing something else. Mm. And um, it was also about tension. Mm. I want that tension, mm. you know, and I want the limitations of it. 16 always feels for me as 
slightly past. It evokes history. Yeah, it's not a common yeah, format yeah. anymore. And it also evokes a kind of ghostliness. I, I don't know about mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a spectrality, like um, partly through the pastness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think it works really great in the film. Um, but you had a very little budget. I mean, the reason why I was discouraging it is because your budget is so tiny. And, and maybe that's something that you can talk about. How does one get to make, how does one get a budget to make a first film on something like this that must have been a project on its own? Yeah, right. yeah, with great difficulty yeah. is the truth, you know. And, and now I have conversations with people who have seen the film, you know, and they're aware of the, the success of the film. And and they say, what are you doing now? Mm. You know, and I say, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to fundraise for something else. Mm. You know, so it's it's not a given that someone who who has like um, a well regarded project immediately has another one straight mm. after. You know, and I think that's something that artists need to be more honest about talking about. You sure. know, like like there is a difficulty from one project to the next, and and. Um, we had an amazing team on Dorothy. You did. And, and they were so invested in the project. Yeah. I think that's also a credit to you, actually. So, you know, what, again, one of the things that really impressed me, aside from your relations with your subjects, was your relation with your team. It kind of, it did feel so inclusive, right? Mm. It kind of, you know, I thought that was like really the nicest crew I'd ever encountered, really. Um, yeah, very... Uh, sensitive to each other as well as to the project so yeah yeah i think i think i'd really instilled the degree of sensitivity that i wanted to create around mm. it you know and and really i wanted the team to like listen to the residents whilst mm. we were there mm. as much as like going well it was with the same sword that we spoke about the ethics i wanted them to go in and be respectful mm. you know? like being in someone's house is mm. you know that's that's kind of special thing and mm. a special invitation. Mm. You have to be respectful. Um, the film is a kind of a, a queer history that is so um, central, you know, to anyone who's grown up in Birmingham and is gay. But really, kind of, I think, uh, like so much in this country that happens outside of London, erased, marginalized, uh, non-existent really in the consciousness. So queer is constantly being rewritten as something that happens in London. And I think kind of, you know, the film can be seen as a kind of a, a reclaiming or, or a highlighting of these histories that probably have taken place in every big city in the country, yeah. right? But certainly, kind of in Birmingham, and I, I, I want, I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I've got so much to say about that. A, a beautiful thing happened when, so, so the film was the centerpiece of an exhibition I had in Edinburgh mm. during the festival in in two thousand and twenty three, um, and at the end of the the process, at the end when the show closed, one of one of the people that had been working on the project in Edinburgh said to me. Um, really really off the cuff but it was actually one of the most important things that someone said about the film um, you should sh- you should show this film in every city in the UK because it will draw out those mm. kind of histories that you're mm. describing mm. you know and in Edinburgh it did exactly that you know we, we, we learnt about 
areas of housing were not exactly the same but similar where where queer people had lived and had similar experiences and the film had enabled people to talk about things that they hadn't done for like Mm. 20 or 30 years you Mm. know Um, but in terms of Birmingham there's always a lack of information about Birmingham Mm. outside of Birmingham Mm. people don't know how to fill that space in their mind Mm. you know and it's partially because the city's always turning itself over and it's partially because the city council are very unsentimental about the city, mm. which gives it a particular kind of um, atmosphere, I think. Um, I always thought it was interesting that the city's motto was forward, mm. you know, that it's always turning itself mm. over. There's always this sort of forward thrust and re- really a, it's not a very reflective place, mm. you know, and it's not very full of itself. It doesn't think about like its um, history mm. at all. It's almost ahistorical, mm. you know, or, or the history that Birmingham does think about is is Victorian, mm. you know, like Matthew Bolton or something. Sure. And and that Industry. history has very little relevance to to kind of my experience of being uh. there, you know. In it, well, in as much as it it was when I was younger, a sort of industrial wasteland, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's and very cinematic. Yeah, I mean, what's central? What's been central in Birmingham for the yeah, at least like the last 40 years is the car which is part of your film yeah mm-hmm. kind of this driving through yeah it's a city that's designed for cars that that actually puts the population at the margins really um and i think it's also a, a oh i feel as a foreigner that um it is a city that puts industry at the center and people at the margins or underground, yeah, and that's that's built into the very physical, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. The manifestation of the city, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's a huge city with almost no facilities, yeah, kind of, you know, and that goes from museums to like leisure centers. You have the tower blocks and you have the underpasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Both in the film, so. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, really important they were both in the film. And, the, you know, I always thought that the road and the car was where the people ought to be. Mm. I think we spoke about that before. Mm. So so there was a there was an inherent paradox. Mm. You were either really far above the road in the tower block or you mm. were, like, under it, mm. you know? Um, so that sort of height paradox I always thought was interesting. Mm. And just just to be honest, my experience of being in Birmingham as a teenager, which was just wandering around mm. from from bar to bar or mm. club to club and house party or whatever, was going through those underpasses, you mm. know. And I think anyone... There was a guy that came to see the film in Edinburgh and he was almost crying talking to me about his memory of walking through those underpasses, you know, because it was so evocative for him, you know, and I think seeing those, you know, the murals, Mm. the 60s murals, Mm. the sort of faded ideological fabric of the city, Mm. um, for Brummies is quite like emotional, Mm. you know, and um, I mean, a potted history is that after the war, Birmingham was redeveloped by primarily, well, the, one of the chief engineers was, was a guy called Herbert Manzoni and he was obsessed with the car, you know. So so the city centre, which was strangled by the ring road, um, was, was orientated around the car. Mm. 
Um, so the car was sent central to Dorothy, and I knew that I wanted to shoot from a moving car. Mm. And for Chris, the cinematographer, this was very stressful. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how how do you shoot from a sixteen millimeter camera from a moving car? Yeah, was was like definitely a question that we contended with. And on a budget where every foot of film mattered, right? Yeah, which is kind of why the film is, is short, mm. you know? We had to make every every second count. Um, and he devised a way where we did it from the back of a mini convertible. Mm. Um, and it was a really stressful day, but but we got the shots and, and they, they're what made the film in a way. Mm. I wanted that sense of journeying, mm. you know, that sense of movement. And um, yeah, I love those shots. Tell me a little bit about um, the reception of the film because, you know, that's one of the things that I have missed observing just because I've been ill. But the film has now been in circulation mm. for what, I don't know, a year? Eight months? Yeah, well, we, we first screened it in Birmingham in September 22. Okay, so... And then we last screened it in Brighton, uh, in Sussex, in November 23. Mm. So that was the last public screening of it. So tell me a little bit about the reception of the film. Oh, I mean, it's it's really caught people's imagination. Mm. You know, I feel super humbled by the response that people have had to it. Um, and I think because of what I said earlier, the way in which the buildings kind of are a point where so many different things coalesce, it means that the interest in the film from so many different parties has been really varied. Mm. You know, so I've had interest from people who are, in, who are looking into queer history, histories of HIV, the way in which those things map onto architecture, mm. and then from architects who are interested in um, the history of modernism, mm. the history of brutalism, things like preserving buildings, mm. um, people who are interested in the history of medicalization, mm. um, and then you've got this whole drag dimension, fashion. Mm. It's It's been... It's been amazing the diversity of interest in it, uh-huh. um, because because all those things kind of come together there, and then of of course sort of like filmmaking, um, oral history, yeah. I feel, I feel sort of slightly overwhelmed by it really, okay. you know, in a way that in a way that's really great and yeah. super super exciting, you know. Um, what I'm interested in, and partly in relation to you, is this tension between kind of I don't know the metropolis and the region, the status that Birmingham has as the second city and your own journey as, you know, someone who comes from the second city, though in British terms, that's almost nowheresville. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not you know, London, it's... Yeah, and, and a second city, like in another country, you know, would be Barcelona or Marseille, <laughs> right? Or, yeah, but kind of London is so overwhelming in, mm-hmm. you know, England uh, that, you know, being the second largest city doesn't quite convey the same sense as it would in, in another um, culture. You know, I mean, in Canada, you have Toronto, but you also have Montreal or Vancouver, all of which mm-hmm. are very cosmopolitan cities with their own art infrastructures and social infrastructures and so on. Kind of here... London absorbs everything in the country. Yeah, totally. So, so tell me a little bit about your own journey as mm-hmm. you know, as an artist, but also kind of map through that pull of the metropolis and then that return. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I've been, I live in London. I've lived here for the past 13 years. Mm. And I think when the opportunity to make Dorothy came about, I was conscious that it was a critical distance, actually. You know, mm. and, and, and at first I thought, do I need to move back to Birmingham to make this film? And then I realised, actually, the remove might be in my interest, really. Mm. And I was able to kind of look at it from a distance. Um, I work as an editor of a magazine, you know, and, and thinking along those lines that we were talking about making your next project, that sort of sustains me and enables mm. me to live here. Um, and also enables me to survive, really, in order to make work like Dorothy. Um, and I th again, I think it's important that artists talk about this sort of stuff more. Mm. Um, but also kind of feeds in to a certain extent, although I, t I tend to keep it quite separate. Um, my mom's family... I mean, this is a crucial thing that I wanted to talk to you about, mm. actually. In, in terms of my investment in Birmingham, um, my mom's family... My, both of my mom's parents grew up in Aston, uh -huh. in the centre of Birmingham. So so we grew up with an emotional attachment to the city, mm. you know, a very um, working class mm. emotional attachment to the city. And then my dad's family is from Ireland. Mm. My dad moved from Ireland when he was in his mid to late 20s, which is also a, a story of Birmingham. Do mm. you know what I mean? So now, after Dorothy, I'm sort of, have a growing interest in Ireland and the yeah. people that moved from Ireland because so many people moved from Ireland to build Birmingham, mm. you know, Absolutely. and that's a fascinating history. Absolutely. And, and a question I've got now is like, what happens to the monuments of immigrant labor when they're being demolished, mm. you know? And, you know? There's a wonderful uh, sculpture uh, made of precisely that, that was displayed in Victoria Square, I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it burnt down, didn't it? Uh, no, no, oh, not that one. There was that, but then there was something else just two or three years ago that was removed. I, I, I'll send you it. I'll because uh, I, I, I took some pictures of that, but it is precisely about, you know, that sense of, you know, Birmingham the res being the result of a series of waves of migration, and also with its particular histories, because of course, what we also forget now is that kind of, you know, Irish in Britain meant something very different mm. in 1900, 1950, or today, yeah. right? Like, tremendously yeah. different. Yeah, so, so, you know, and those historical kind of nuances are defining, they're not, like, marginal. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, um, totally. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I suppose that's that sort of gives a bit more of a context to the film. A little bit, but I also, you know, because one of the things, and, and this is maybe more my uh, concern than yours, though I want your opinion on it, but um, some people are very... So on the one hand, I do feel that, you know, the city treats people as marginal. Nonetheless, people who live in Birmingham have this great attachment to mm -hmm. it as their place. And some people who are, you know very, very creative, decide very stubbornly, I think, that Birmingham is the place where they'll create whatever it is they create. And I just think that the structures are larger than their will, <laughs> right? I mean, I do think, for example, that Twiggy is someone who, had they done what they've done in Birmingham, in London, they would be international figures, I really, and they would be mythologized in the same way that, you know, 
taboo and all those people around you mm-hmm. know that, that clubbing culture from the 80s onwards has been mythologized internationally mm-hmm. because it happened in London but of course you know no one knows Twiggy outside of Birmingham where as you say she is like this hugely important and yeah, central yeah. figure yeah but the price of that is then you know that they're never given their due or they're never really valued for what they've contributed and it feels that you know, in order to make a film about Dorothy Towers in Birmingham, it's almost like you have to go through London. And I wondered if you have a view on that. <laughs> mm, I think I could have made this film if I was living in Birmingham. You know, you and actually, the money for it. Um, yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, you don't know, do you? I can't say for certain. Okay, well, my retort but, to you would be yeah. then, why doesn't it happen then? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think, I think the city's pretty unyielding, and I like what you said about the structures of the city, you mm. know, um, which is, is one of its sort of paradoxical charms, mm. I think. And to people from Birmingham are and And although I'm in London, I have like a very strong attachment to Birmingham and I'm there an awful lot and I I participate in the art scene there, you know. So so it never feels like I'm really removed from it, Mm. contrary to what I said about having a critical distance. Um, I mean, it's only an hour and a half away. It's It's not the end of the way. You know, my family family are there, my sister's there. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I think... Birmingham's always on the sort of cusp of, of, I don't know, in a, in a way, like, there are, be- there are beautiful things that happen there, and there, are an ama- there is an amazing art scene, but it's just sort of so- somewhat hidden, you know, mm. and I think, I always say to people who are going there for the first time, those things exist, but you just need to know where to look, mm. you know, and one of the things about Birmingham that's always, always fascinated and excited me is that, um, you can be on a night out in Birmingham in Digbeth and go behind a really discreet door and into a world that mm. that's so amazing, mm. you know. And you can go looking for that and not find it, and then yes. you can find it when you're not looking for it. You, yes. know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like I've had I've had some of the best nights out in Birmingham. I was surprised. Something rogue about it. Yeah, I I was always surprised by that because, you know, when I moved to the Midlands. I was so desperate to find places and it was very, very, very difficult. Like you go through what's printed or clubs listed in gay times. And at a certain point I kind of, you know, moved in this uh, dance and, you know, drug world really. And at a certain point you'd know where all the after hours clubs were and you could just move from one place to another and it became a completely different city just through what you happen to know. Yeah, like, yeah, there's a, really, there is a hidden <laughs> world yeah, out there. It was really vibrant and exciting and it lasted all night, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and there are still echoes of that, you know. Actually, whilst we were showing Dorothy in Birmingham in September 22, I had one of the best nights out I've ever had. Mm. And it was on the second screening night. And, you know, we, 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 left, we left Minerva Works where the film was showing, a group of us, like, ready to go out. And just walked into a bar on the end of Fazy Street. And it was just so incredible the night that we had there. You know, you had like DJs who were just so amazingly good at what they were doing. Just like kids, like young kids, you know what I mean? And and it was like, it was a night that could only happen in Birmingham yeah. as well. You know what I mean? That's cool. Um, so, I don't want this to sound kind of the wrong way. Um, 
but you know you are a first time filmmaker so mm -hmm. kind of this is your first experience of of making a film um what are you most happy with about the film you ended up making mm -hmm. and you know what do you think could have been improved had you been a more experienced filmmaker what yeah yeah what yeah. do you now know that would have made for you know yeah that's that's a good question um well, I guess in terms of process, returning to your earlier question, I, I think about everything I do as a learning experience and I embrace it as such, mm. you know. So I think about the thing as something I'm going through, you mm. know. So so the film is not, like, necessarily a full stop, you know. It's, it's constantly moving until it's finalised, let's mm. say. So, um, so that yeah, I learn an awful lot from, from making the film. And, for example, when we showed it in Birmingham, we had all these sort of, like, wooden dimensions, like an almost an installation. And in retrospect, that was something I could have saved money on and, and, and maybe reduced a bit, you know, um, to focus the attention more on the film. But, but then you don't know that until you do it. But in terms of the actual film, um, I, think, I think we ended up with the film that I set out to make, you know, and atmospherically, so I was really happy with that. Um, I'm happy with the atmosphere of the film. I think. I think it could, could benefit from being a little bit longer, even mm. you know. And I think there's a there's a longer story to tell there. Um, I like the marriage of the music. The mm. music's a really important dimension of the film, um, and the visual and the image um, tell a similar story. And the brief I gave to Lai, who, who made the music and also happens to be you know, one of my closest and oldest friends is, um, I wanted it to have a kind of feeling of searching and looking, but not necessarily finding. Mm. So the music brings this sort of like longing, I hope to the film. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really one for regrets. So I don't know if there's anything <laughs> that I would change. And that's not that I'm saying that I think the work's perfect, uh -huh. you know, but, but it's, it's that sort of Warhol mentality. It's like what comes from the work to go into the next thing. You know, sure. that's really that really is the way I think about it. You know. Okay. Um, so I'm going to. I mean, for me, one of the things that you know the film does so beautifully is kind of construct or not construct. That makes it sound too uh, systemic, but evoke a kind of layered kind of history but one of feeling that comes from a place in which death and mourning and sadness are kind of spectral but not defining kind of elements would you agree with that yeah yeah 100 uh percent -huh. yeah that sorry go on no, no, but that that was the yeah um yeah the because the buildings have such a patterned history and because life continues to happen there I didn't want to tell a story that was only about one thing. Mm. It's not a story only about the architecture of the building. It's not a story only about HIV. Mm. And even if it were, then within those things, there are, there are so many different experiences, mm. you know? So I wanted it to be, um, yeah, multiguous, mm. you know? And I think that sort of... Yeah, those different layers of history and the, and the ways that the film sort of tells different stories and also the way in which the residents tell their own stories mm. um, brings that sort of spectral, layered thing. And I've always pushed against it being just like one thing and and I've had interest from people wanting to write about just one aspect of it and 
I'm cautious about that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And when someone approaches me and, and says that they want to use the film for a lens to talk about just one thing, mm. I'm, I'm always sort of discouraging of that. Do you know what I mean? Because right. I want I, I want to retain that complexity. Yes. You know? I, I, I mean, obviously, everything is contextual. But uh, I, I wouldn't, uh, because... You know, the thing is also cumulative. I mean, yeah. I don't mind if somebody is very specifically writing on the film, you know, through this one very specific perspective. If then somebody else writes on another, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so when you're seeing the writing on the film as a whole, yeah, you know, that becomes multidimensional. It doesn't matter if one thing is just yeah, you're focused. Right. Um, and and it's there is also a sense in which the work takes on a life of its own, sure. you know. And I think I think for all artists practitioners that make things, that's that's like a beautiful thing, but also slightly terrifying. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When you put something out in the world and it becomes an accumulative thing that sure. other people well, that's what's want lovely to and to. scary. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I want to segue into. Uh, your book you've just published. Uh, it's a. a almost like a pamphlet really yeah, yeah it's one yeah. of the tape books uh on death it's, it's, it's subject can you tell me a little bit about that project because it is part of a bigger project isn't it yeah. and your choices yeah. yeah totally so um so let, how can i start to say this um i have a, a good relationship with with um a guy called tom avery who's the editorial director at tate and he invited me to write one of these books which is part of a series called Look Again and it um, coincides with the rehang of Tate Britain so it's an invitation for the audience to interpret the collection through a specific um, theme mm. and um, he said to me kind of early last year would you like to write one and what would you want it to be about and at that time I just lost a friend um, and then almost immediately after a family member so all I could think about was loss, mm. you know, and I said the only thing I could write meaningfully about at the moment would be death, mm. you know. And, and they were like, well, do you want it to be a memorial? Do you want it to be, mm. you know, something a little less frank? And I was like, no, I want yeah. it to be death, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, because because it's so frank. Um, so so it's an essay length book that you could read whilst, probably whilst walking around Tate Britain. And it, it traces um, things like Memento Mori, um, looking at the way, the, the many ways in which artists have represented um, loss in, in their paintings and photographs and sculptures. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I am a Francis Bacon obsessive, mm. you know, and he's a kind of... Yeah, he's, he's a fascination for me and he has been for a long time. So um, I had quite a short amount of time to write the book, so I knew that there was going to be Bacon... Um, involved in it because those those paintings of George Dyer are just such a beautiful um, evocation of of grief. Mm. You know what I mean? And 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 there's a certain sense in which it's a grief that maybe he wasn't, or or a love that he wasn't able to articulate in mm. in in life. Death and loss are also quite a large part of, of the Dorothy, film. Yeah. yeah. So, is this a continuing concern, or <laughs> do you ever think you know? This is a particular obsession of mine. This is becoming like, you know, part of my unfolding career. The loss and death. <laughs> uh. Um. 
Well, I suppose there's always a gravitas that come, uh, comes with loss and death, and it's all, there's also a universality, you know? We mm. all will experience that. And, and I, think, I think certainly when I was writing the book, I felt like this was something that everybody was going to at some point relate to, mm. you know? And maybe if, the, if you were in the Tate and you saw this book and you just lost someone like I had, you might think, oh, actually that might be an accomplice while I walk around, you mm. know, and that I can find things in this turn of painting that, mm. that can kind of relate to my experience. And I think similarly with Dorothy, there is a kind of memorialization element, mm. but it's not the only thing about Dorothy. Um, and certainly it was about the way that the buildings kind of have that history. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, people have taken their own life jumping out of those buildings. Sure. And, and you talk about that in the opening throws and, and and in a way, what you say in the beginning of the film frames it so beautifully, you know, um, that that I think you say that this is a house of ghosts, mm. you know. Um, so it, it was definitely about looking into that, you mm. know, and looking into um, a history of HIV that, has, as you said, it was, it has been erased, really. And, and certainly the works that I plan in the future or that I'm, I'm working on at the moment have that element you know and I'm interested in thinking about the effects of HIV AIDS mm. so what are you you know what are these unfolding projects for the future what are you working on now well um, in the in the same way that Dorothy was something I thought about for a long time I think I kind of percolate for mm. a long time before something takes form mm. you know so at the moment I'm thinking a lot about Ireland uh-huh. and another hidden history like we discussed, you know, yeah. um, the Irish people that moved to Birmingham to build Birmingham uh-huh. is really fascinating because my dad moved from Ireland uh-huh. to Birmingham to work sure. as a builder, you know, sure. and as a carpenter. So so there is a personal history there as well. And and to me that's that's that kind of like personal dimension and relationship to the story can become a specific propulsion you know and it's definitely a case in Dorothy you know it's it's me kind of I remember when when I made Dorothy I was really keen for it not to be about me and and Kim who who kind of produced and worked on the film was was one of the people that said actually this film's really about you as well you know And, and I still think that it isn't but but there's definitely an element of kind of searching for some form of queer history to kind of learn about myself, you sure. know, and learn about my own identity as a as a kind of a queer brummy, um, and and wanting to sort of bring to light the the the, the manifold queer histories of of Birmingham, and I think this sort of interest in Ireland has a has a sort of similar. Um, well, propulsion. you know, there's a I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a very beautiful. John Huston film of a James Joyce short story oh, right. called The Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's interesting kind of connections, right? Because of course so much of Irish history is loss, exile, migration, tears, song, but all the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's a beautiful party scene in the film uh, which uh, is a wake in which the body is at the center mm. and the coffin is the drinks table. Yeah. Where, you know, <laughs> and what you get is that, you know, that, that song and tears. Yeah. Mm. The, the, the singing crying that one associates with a particular dimension mm-hmm. of British culture, which, you know, 
on the surface of it does connect very interestingly with what you've done before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's um, there's there's joy in in Dorothy as as much as there is kind of sadness. Yes, you know, and those two things often go together. Sure. Um and, and yeah. There's this memorialization totally and and the final sequence with the candles was actually Seema's idea you wow. know, and, and she was very interested in in some way the film memorializing the people that had died there and I thought that was a great end yeah. you know, to the film to kind of bring it full circle to what you say in the beginning you know, that kind of frames it as a house of ghosts and but it's it's a celebration of those people, you know, sure. and it's a celebration of the people that live there. It's a celebration of the life that they continue to lead, and and often against adverse adversity as well, you mm. know. Well, I think you know to use this very cliche kind of American phrase of a, you know, what people now say, oh, you know, I feel seen, or yeah, that actually kind of seeing, <laughs> yeah, and and um, that seeing in itself is a validation in the sense that it's making presence felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the film operates that way. I mean, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, it kind of uh, posits, you know, the existence of this place, these people, the people that have been there before that mm-hmm. are no longer there, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's a way of kind of at least, uh, you know, an inserting into history something that had previously kind of not so you know if nothing else that's one of the great things the film does yeah yeah but it, and it's also not unaware of the foibles of representation as well you know which is where the sort of ethical approach comes into play for me sure. it's kind of managing that at the same time as making it visible yes. and I'm, I'm really interested in in what happens when something becomes an artwork you mm. know and and what happens when things that were previously sort of unknown or or only known by a small community becomes material for an artwork that's shown on an on an international or national scale you know and i think there's a responsibility as an artist to account for that sort of change in register and i think a lot of artists don't mm. you know to that's their own detriment um and for me that raises questions about legibility uh-huh. you know who is this legible for and and how do you retain the kind of complexity of the material whilst that process is happening? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you can only retain that until that process has ended. And then once it goes into the public sphere, yeah, it inevitably takes yeah. a life of its own. But I thought what you did that was so marvellous was that until it reached that point, you sought consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of, you know... Uh, uh, Nobody can control the way that, you know, they're perceived in a public sphere. But kind of, you do have some say, and in your case, you had a great say, or I had a great say, in the way that I was presented. You know? so, mm-hmm. so I felt that at least, kind of, um, that was also a way of making people feel kind of seen and validated, and at least in control over their representation until the moment where no one has any control over it, right? Yeah. So, so I thought that was marvellous. Thanks. All right, well, on that note, thank you very much, Sean. No, it was a pleasure, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah.